to As Told Here, conversations and stories shared in the public interest in Studio W at WPAA-TV and Community Media Center. As Told Here brings community media to where you are. Your vote is your voice. I'm Miley McKean. Welcome to Progressive Talk. I'm here tonight with Bruce Conroy, and we have Secretary of State Denise Merrill to talk about election security and things to do with elections. One of the big questions we get is, what do you do if you show up and you can't vote because you're not on the voting roll? It's a very good question and a very common problem. I have to say it's probably the biggest issue that comes up on Election Day. People will come up to the desk and you try to check in, your name is not on the list. There could be a whole lot of reasons that that would happen. It could be your fault because you thought that your registration traveled with you if you moved, but it doesn't. You have to re-register if you, even if you move across town. And, and it could be clerical error. That's the most common problem, I think. You should not be discouraged. You certainly uh, can still vote. Uh, fortunately, now in Connecticut, we did pass a law that we call election day registration. So if this happens to you, you can then go to City Hall, if that is not where you are, because it's usually just one place in each town that we have uh, access to the centralized voter list. Mm -hmm. It's important to explain, I think, first that we do have a statewide centralized voter list, as does now every state in the country. And whenever you're hearing about problems with security, it's usually about the list itself. It is on the internet. And so as a result, we can allow you to register on the spot in that one place, not necessarily in your polling place, but mm -hmm. you have to go to town hall. You can register with identification and vote right there on the spot. That has cured a lot of problems that we have otherwise on election day. So for example, we first instituted this process in 2012, and that first year, 30,000 people uh, used election wow. day registration to vote, and those are all people that would not have been able to otherwise. So I think it's terrific that we now have this opportunity for people. Otherwise, in the old days before that, if you came there and your name was not on the list, you were out of luck. Right. So just to be clear, in your license and your Social Security card? You don't need the card, but you do need to know your social security number. You need an ID, not necessarily a driver's license, but some form of ID that shows clearly who you are. Doesn't have to have a picture. That's the sort of national fight okay. about whether you need a photo ID. Right. But you do need an ID, very clear ID. Some states are enacting laws where it's not simply a photo ID, it's a government-issued photo ID that they're looking for. And then people who don't have driver's licenses or are not um, necessarily able to get to a DMV, stand in line for an hour to wait for a non-driver ID, that keeps them from voting. That's right. I mean, it's a terrible problem. And when you hear about new rules that are suppressing the vote, that's one of them. It gets even worse than that. In a place like Texas, they passed a law that had a, literally a list of the IDs you could use. You could use your gun license. You could not use your student ID, hmm. even, even though both have pictures. <laughs> so that seemed fairly pointed. I think it was actually overturned by uh, the courts, but as a restriction, as an undue restriction on your right to vote. I think the thing to remember is it's your right to vote. If you're 18 and a citizen, you have a right to vote. Right. The other thing they do is close polling places in 
areas or in towns that have high minority um, populations. That's right. They do. There's been a lot of that. Actually, in places like Georgia, it was really extreme, to, again, to the point where the courts have stepped in in some of these situations. That's right. That's another uh, ploy that I think is being used to suppress the minority vote in many states. I don't think that happens here in our state because we're on yeah, top of it. <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't heard about that here. No. No. <laughs> the state houses the voter registry, but we never touch it. It's all done locally. All the names that are taken on or off are done locally. So because we have 169 towns, and each one has two registrars, one Democrat, one Republican, and also town clerk that handle all this, my concerns about our registry are really not at the state level. We have plenty of protections. We're using more and more. But the local level may be a concern, because there's a router in each town. And we need to make sure those are secure as well. So is it efficient having all the towns do it? I mean, we think it should be regionalized. Right. Not. It's a difficult system to manage, but like everything, pluses and minuses. The good news is it would be almost impossible to imagine hacking a system <laughs> that's in 169 towns <laughs> right. with, you know, 750 polling places. And by the way, tabulators, the, the machines you actually vote on, are not on the Internet. Right. They're freestanding. They have little cards in them that read your ballot, but we have paper ballots. You know, we fill in the bubbles, just like the old SAT test. Mm -hmm. You stick it in the scanner, it reads it, but we keep the ballots, we audit. The, so that part, I think, is a good thing. You know, I don't know how you'd ever get the wherewithal to attack our system in that right. sense. That yeah, on the other hand, there's a lot of tiny little towns. Um, I used to represent one called Chaplin, 2,500 people in the whole town. They certainly don't have an IT department, and their registrar comes in, I believe, once every couple of weeks. So that's hard to manage with all these new um, concerns we have about technology and cybersecurity. So the audit program, I've actually been an observer for. Ah. And, uh, and I think it's fun because, you know, I get to take a day off of work and go watch other people do stuff. But a lot of people don't know it happens. So it's like 38 districts or 32 districts get randomly chosen every year. And 5%, five percent, five percent every yep. year. Yep. That audit is just to check the ballots against the machine. Correct. So it's either done by hand, a hand count of the ballots compared to the machine tape or it can be done um, basically electronically with a reader, but then people watch every single ballot that goes by on a screen That's right. to see if it matches what the reader's reading. That's our new system, And actually. that's cool. That's yeah. cool. I watched that last year in your office. We have the scanners where we're scanning in literally hundreds of ballots every 15 seconds or something. Mm -hmm. And then you, you're right. You can read and actually see any questions that might arise if the machine says, oh, this one, this, this one isn't quite filled in right, you can actually see it and make your own judgment as to the intent of the voter. Right. Many states do no audits, and mm -hmm. that is something under discussion right now in some federal legislation. I think the biggest thing we should be doing is we have to maintain the trust of people right. in the election process. Absolutely. And that is really why we're doing the audits, why we do all the opening of the machines. Everything in elections must be transparent. And that makes it very difficult for us to deal with some of the new issues coming up, because the Department of Homeland Security, for example, they're all about security. 
So they're not transparent. They can't be transparent. Right. A lot of it is secret. It's very difficult to figure out exactly how much they can tell us if they do identify a problem or a foreign government interfering with our elections. And so that's a lot of what we've been trying to figure out in the last year or two since this all started happening. Mm. It looks to me, mm -hmm. just from watching the news and reading a lot, is that foreign interference in our election was all mental fake news. It was slanted articles and, you know, opinion posts that were meant specifically to rile up and play on people's fears. Not that they didn't try. I think it was all related, but right, it in was. a way. It was, yeah. it was a campaign. But I yes. think they came in with a multi-pronged approach. When they were supposedly trying to get into our systems, we still don't know what the real goal was because it didn't succeed mm -hmm. in any of the states. I really do think they were just trying to sow chaos and oh, yeah. confusion and concern. And frankly, it worked. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> because... Well, look. Yeah. yeah. I used to, the Secretary of State's used to be this quiet little office where we sort of managed, you know, very administrative. Everyone now wants to know. I feel like I'm in the news almost every day now about the cybersecurity. Do you feel that our elections are safe? Is this going to happen again? What actually occurred? And there's a lot of confusion out there about what actually happened. Right. And, you know, and, and people just don't know because there's so many different stories. That's right. There was a story that an 11-year-old was able to hack into right. a voting machine. I don't mm -hmm. know if you caught that I, one. I, I saw it. Yeah. Saw well, truthfully, it was a non-story. Some group that wanted to prove something, I'm not sure what, deliberately set something up that the 11-year-old could get into. Uh, it was not a real Not a real situation. situation. No. It was a hackable situation yes. right. that they capitalized exactly. right. on. Yep. Another thing, though, to sow dissent and, and yeah, that's right. doubt. Yeah. On the system. So I've spent, you know, the last few weeks putting out that fire, you know, because it got carried by a number of national outlets. Once those doubts are put in place, it's very hard to dispel them. I mean, these days, everything is conspiracy theory. Everyone's very willing to believe that things are not going well. We know that the Secretary of State's office, your office, has been doing a good job right along. I mean, our, our registrar, all of them. All report to you, the, the Democrat, the Republican. Right. And uh, you put us all online. Yep. You made the, you made the Wallingford Law. I'm sorry. <laughs> there you go. That's uh, right. That's, that, that's two offices in town hall that are online. That's right. We really need to be able to communicate with registrars uh, on Election Day. Right. And one thing that I did that people have sort of forgotten about, and I'm hoping we don't have to call it into play again, was that after both those major storms we had in 2011, 2012, we had no emergency plans in place. So that was a lot of what happened when, back before I was secretary, in Bridgeport, for example, they ran out of, like, I don't know, thousands of ballots. Mm -hmm. But that was not the problem, because there is, a, there is something you can do about that, and they're supposed to know, well, you can copy ballots and put stamps on them. I mean, you can fix that. But they didn't have a plan in place, and one of the things that happened was they didn't know where to find the copy machine, because the janitor had gone home, no one had the key to the <laughs> copy room. Believe it or not, this yep, was no, really the issue. And so since that time, I have required all towns to have an emergency plan for elections. So is that part of the training that registrars get so that they know the entire routine from, yes. from beginning to finish? Can you go over the... Sure. What yeah, they're, they're, that was how, another what thing. Trained and how? I did institute uh, that each registrar now must be certified within two years 
and they take uh, a number of courses through uh, our office. It includes things like how to do an emergency plan, how to work with CVR, the voter registry, but also a lot of the laws uh, and, the, and the kind of procedures that they need to know about to make sure that everything's fair and that everyone's doing things the same way. That's been a real challenge because, you know, these offices are small offices. Mm -hmm. they, they were meant for another time, particularly in the small towns. I mean, there are literally towns where they come in once a month. But now that we have all these online systems, it's so much better. We have online voter registration, for example, yeah. through the DMV, because the DMV keeps a record of all people's signatures. So we, you can now go on your phone and register to vote if you have a Connecticut driver's license. And they cross-check your information with your signature. They still, it's an application, essentially, and they still send it to the local registrar. Right and you're not actually a voter until that registrar accepts the application. They send you a card and say, congratulations, you're a voter, and you're done. And it's a really great process. So the registrar is who really checks your citizenship. That's right. And then once you're registered, they send you a confirmation. That's right. And if you change parties, they send you a confirmation. Right. If you move, they mail you a confirmation. If, if you move and re-register. If you re-register, if, if you, you remember, remember to we both got an, a letter. Oh, okay. Yeah. See who gets the mail in the house. <laughs> I see that. Um, and I opened mine, and I said, "Okay, I know what his. Is. Yeah, I know that his is this." And I yeah. threw him in a file, and and there we went. Now it's really a lot easier than it used to be, and oh, yeah. our lists are much cleaner than they used to be because people now, when they go to the DMV to renew their license or do whatever they're doing. They are asked, you know, oh, are you eligible to vote? And you can change your address, too. You can make changes that you need to make. And as a result, our lists are so much more accurate than they used to be because, of course, people forgot to change it when they moved. It's just not the first thing on mm -hmm. your mind, you know. How do voters get purged, and do they in Connecticut? The voter lists are uh, canvassed, as they, we call it, every year. I know purge is a harsh word. Sorry. Yeah, per <laughs> well, no, it's not too harsh. I mean, in some states, we're having Well, in some states, there is a purge. That's yes, why I said it. that's right. It is. Yeah. Indiana, uh, they took 500,000 people off the voter rolls in one fell swoop. It was overturned by the courts because they used a certain methodology that isn't very accurate. I'll go first to what we don't do. I like that, yeah. All right. What we don't do is what they did in Indiana, which is they used a system called cross-check um, or some version of that. And it's just an extremely inaccurate cross-check of names across state lines. Uh. So, for example, if you're James Smith and your name comes up, they use this system where they go to other states' lists and say, oh, this is another James Smith over here, and they try to get three pieces of data that match, then they take him off the list where he was first on, and has, they just assume he's now moved over here. That system has been proven to be wildly inaccurate. I can imagine. Yeah. There is another Eileen McKean in the, in the United States. Really? Yeah. Wow, even with that unusual name. In Maine. You also have to inform people under federal law. There's a lot of federal law about this because in the past there have been big problems. This is another way you can shape your list by taking people off under various you know, uh, scenarios. But now uh, federal law is you cannot take someone off a list without them informing you unless they have missed several federal elections, so that means every two years. So let's say they've missed two 
cycles. So they haven't voted in four at least years. four years. And then you have to uh, check and send them something, a mailing, or say, you know, are you still there? I noticed right. you haven't voted. And even then, you cannot just take them off the list. In Connecticut, we put them on an inactive list that can be reinstituted on election day, right. should they come forward. So the thing that other states have been doing is taking them off lists without doing the mailing or, or too soon, right. shall we say. That's what we don't do here. We also do, uh, every uh, town is supposed to do a canvas of all voters every year. There's a, a list that people use from the U.S. mail uh, to inform people. So they should be sending out a mailing. Now, the problem with all of this, of course, is who gets mail anymore. I think in this country have not developed a good sort of email system or checkback system. Mm -hmm. I would love to do that. I would love to get everyone's email when they register to vote. Of course, that would be, you know, starting from now, there'd be <laughs> hundreds of thousands of people that we didn't have their mm -hmm. emails. But then we'd be able to get, uh, I'd love to get some sort of feedback system where people could sign up to get a text message, to hear, okay, the next election, don't forget to register, don't forget to vote, or whatever. So I think that's where we should go next. But right now, it's still all U.S. mail. And by the way, my newest initiative that I'm thinking about for the coming years is uh, allowing 16-year-olds to pre-register to vote. Because the DMV program has been such a success that I think, you know, grab them when they're just, yeah, just uh, getting get their, their license. license. Makes perfect sense. They wouldn't get to vote till they're 18, but mm -hmm. there's plenty of evidence that um, when people feel like they're part of something, they're much more likely to participate. Yes, make them a member at 16. That's all exactly. you're doing. Exactly. That's all you're doing. And then they'll think, oh, I'm a voter. Wow. Well, I'm maybe I should pay attention to what's going on. Yeah, and maybe, exactly. you know, they'll get involved. I mean, that's, that's how it, it works. And it's true. Younger people have been more involved and... Yeah. And they have been old since when I was. We didn't yeah. care about it. See, I always voted, but then, you know, m my parents talked about politics at home. And I remember going to vote with my mother when I could see underneath really? the curtain. Pretty she small. showed me, she's like, and this is what you do. You hold. Yeah. I remember being in her arms and, and pulling the party lever, her pulling the party lever. And this is what you do. That's gone now. Yeah, it's gone now. Yeah, yeah. I think I might have done that once when I was 18, and then it was gone. You have to actually press every button yeah. now. Yeah. But that was the example that I had set for me. Makes a big you difference. Know, we've, we've talked about, oh, what if they had child care at the, at the polls? And I'm like, if we don't have lines, take your kids with you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm hoping we don't have long lines anymore. We have problems during presidential elections right. with lines, but um, I always, pity. I always go really pity. early in the morning, so yeah. I usually get it over with yes. before people. Smart. Yeah. I go <laughs> on my way to work, and so do a lot of other people, but I go probably a little earlier than the majority. And you you hit it on your way home in the uh, morning. Yeah, I hit my way home in the morning. Because he usually work works nights. Night, so I always get it in the morning. Uh, before so I come six, home. 6.30. Before I go home, I, I swing by the pole. Vote and then go home. Well, the other thing I've been a big promoter of civic education in the schools. That's another problem I think we have right now, which is that with all the testing that's mm -hmm. gone on in the last 10, 20 years, a lot of the education we all got has been squeezed out of the curriculum. Right. My first big exposure to paying attention to politics was in second grade, we had a mock election. And right. uh, when my dad got home from work, I, t I told him about it. And he went on a rant against one of the candidates and at that point <laughs> i knew Nixon. what it was richard nixon <laughs> i thought 
oh, I guess we're Democrats. <laughs> well, well, you know, my, my dad was a union machinist. And, yep. You know, so uh, was my grandfather. But, yeah, actually. but that was like one of my very earliest exposures to, you know, that and, and watching my mom vote. So we had these things in, in second grade. I was in second grade. And now it's like they don't seem to get it till like, what, sophomore year of high school they get civics and well, senior year of high school they get government. That's right. If you if that I literally did pass legislation in 2003 that requires a half year course in civics to graduate from high school in Connecticut. Mm -hmm. Before then there was no requirement. And really people need to know exactly how our government works yeah, because it's the way it's designed is really beautiful. And when it doesn't work how it's supposed to is just the part that people hate when it really gets messy. But if we don't recognize that, we can't change it. Right. And if you're not informed and you're not listening and understand the basic structures, it's hard to make any sense out of any of it. Well, just coincidentally, the other day was National Constitution Day, mm -hmm. the 17th, celebrating the signing of the U.S. Constitution. And it always makes me sit up straight because it is an amazing document. Mm -hmm. and how we all still call on it as if it's almost like a Bible. And I just hope they keep teaching about it. I, I keep a pocket version in my car. Do you? See, there you go. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> kind of like a Bible, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> kind of like yeah. a Bible. That's how people feel about it. They feel strongly. We do. We do. And uh, everything that's happening lately makes us a little sad. Yes. Yeah, indeed. I was standing on the steps of the Hartford City Hall this morning talking about what was going on with several other candidates. And, um, you know, you just, people are listening. They're listening to the national news. They know a lot about the national news. I think much less so about the state and local government because the lowest turnout for voting is always in local elections, mm -hmm. which always strikes me as sort of backwards. Yes. You know, it should be yes. the other way around because those are, that's where government really does impact yes. you, you know, yes. and you want to make sure whoever's running your government locally cares about what goes on. Right. And they, can do math. And <laughs> yes. And can do and math. Can do math. And knows how to say no. Yes. Or come up with an idea. Right, mm -hmm. exactly right. But no, instead we get very few people come out and vote. Yeah, yeah. But we're working on it. We're, Next work, time. we're always working on it. Yeah, it's always our goal. Wallingford's never that bad, really. But Wallingford's still, actually had some really still good low. voter turnout. It does, even though there, it may be yeah. more than other towns, it's still low. I know. Isn't it funny? Here we were bragging <laughs> yeah. about, oh, great turnout, thirty percent, forty percent. Exactly. Yeah. Think about, yeah. and that's just yeah. of people who are actually registered. Yeah. We well, think there's yeah, another third of the population that isn't even registered. To right. Vote. Right. It's bad. <laughs> That's why I like that automatic registration. Yeah. Yeah. I think just people, make it easy. And, uh, right? Unfortunately, easy. that doesn't that doesn't, doesn't mean necessarily vote, mean they'll vote. But, it, but it, at it least, gives, well, at least they have the opportunity. Right. And like I said, they're a member of the club. And we can That's and right. then we get their name and we can call them up and say, "Did you vote? Are you going to vote?" And then we get to do our get out to vote thing. That's right. And for the week before the election, and boy, we do it more than that. But that's when we never leave the office. <laughs> four day, we did four days this time before the primary. Wow, yeah, that's great. Um, and, it, and, it, and it worked. So we have you it. been talking to people out there? Have you guys oh, yeah. been doing any kind of phone calling? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. What are you hearing? I, I knock on doors, like almost daily. And are people engaged? Are they feeling Most like people are engaged. Most, well, I'm, wow. I'm, targeting, I'm targeting people who actually vote. Yes. Um, well, of course. So, yeah. you know, if, if you voted at least twice in the last three years or, you know, twice in the last four years, 
then I'm going to knock on your door. I'm, you know, not everybody, but pretty close. There's a lot of pessimism. And I think that comes yep. from just sound bites that people hear on the news um, or read in the paper. There's a lot of confusion over what we can do with our budget and how bad it really is. A lot of people think it's worse than it is because we're really not that far. We're not that far off in the whole budget thing. It's, it's you mean the state budget? The state budget right. as far as things that we have to pay for, always have to pay for. We're not yeah. really that far off. It's, you know, things that we didn't pay for the last 40 the years that we have yeah. to catch yeah. up on. Yes. That's the problem. That's right. You're correct. But I mean, like, we're not on the verge of bankruptcy. We're not anywhere no. near it. No. It's not as gloom and doom as a lot of people really think it is. Yes. And it's complex. So trying to simplify everything so that you don't have to spend six months explaining it um, and you can do it in two or three minutes on somebody's doorstep, that's the difficult part. Yes, it is. A lot of people have questions, and, and almost everybody's questions are, you know, are you going to raise my taxes, and uh, what are you going to, you know, what can you cut? Right. And that's the thing. You know, no, I don't want to raise anybody's taxes except for maybe that top 1%. And, you know, I, we have to be careful about how we cut things. Yeah, a lot's been cut already, I can tell yeah. you. I was uh, chair of appropriations once many years ago, actually, back when we had a lot of money. Uh, big surplus, actually. In fact, that year we gave $150 back to every uh, taxpayer in the state, um, which I thought was kind of a silly idea at the time, and I think I was right because nobody you, remembers that you now. You were right. I, I remind people all the time. You were right. Remember that $150 you got? Well, yeah. you're the reason. Yeah, and, that's and right. That's, we should have put that, that into the long-term debt. Into the, yes. into sure. the, yeah. yeah, I bring that up all the time. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, and we borrowed a lot of money to pay for things like higher education and uh, K-12 buildings for schools. Right. And we did a lot of good things with the money, but we did borrow a lot of money. Yes. And so we just have to retrench now. But I think you're right. I, it is not as bad as people have been led to believe. Right. Well, it's the doomsayers. It is, yeah. It's a real long-term thing, and I think it's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Oh, yeah. mm -hmm. If you keep running around saying, yes. "Oh, Connecticut's terrible. Everybody's leaving. Get out while you can," it's rooting well, to fail. Yes, yeah. exactly. People, there are people who are right. rooting for Leaders. us to fail. Leaders yes. in, in, our in our legislature yeah. and in our government that are rooting for us to fail. So we're out of time. Thank yes, you for coming. Are. This My has pleasure. been great. I hope everybody has learned a lot and feels better about mm -hmm. your vote and your vote counting. Yes. I think that's really important and that's been uh, it's been great having you here to explain yeah. all that. Thank you very Thank you. much for having me and everybody get out and vote. Your vote is your voice. <laughs> Thanks to our local producers and team Hercules for production support. As told here, conversations and stories shared in the public interest in Studio W at WPAA-TV and Community Media Center. As Told Here brings community media to where you are.